Book Three, Chapters One and Two of The Blue Lagoon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. The Blue Lagoon by H. De Vere Stackpole. Book Three, Chapter One. Mad Lestrange. They knew him upon the Pacific slope as Mad Lestrange. He was not mad but he was a man with a fixed idea. He was pursued by a vision, the vision of two children and an old sailor adrift in a little boat upon a wide blue sea. When the Arago, bound for Papiti, picked up the boats of the Northumberland, only the people on the longboat were alive. Lafarge, the captain, was mad, and he never recovered his reason. Lestrange was utterly shattered. The awful experience in the boats and the loss of the children had left him a seemingly helpless wreck. The scowbankers, like all their class, had fared better, and in a few days were about the ship and sitting in the sun. Four days after the rescue the Arago spoke the Newcastle, bound for San Francisco, and transshipped the shipwrecked men. Had a physician seen Lestrange on board the Northumberland as she lay in that long, long calm before the fire, he would have declared that nothing but a miracle could prolong his life. The miracle came about. In the general hospital of San Francisco, as the clouds cleared from his mind, they unveiled the picture of the children and the little boat. The picture had been there daily, seen but not truly comprehended. The horrors gone through in the open boat, the sheer physical exhaustion, had merged all the accidents of the great disaster into one mournful, half-comprehended fact. When his brain cleared, all the other incidents fell out of focus, and memory with her eyes set upon the children, began to paint a picture that he was ever more to see. Memory cannot produce a picture that imagination has not retouched, and her pictures, even the ones least touched by imagination, are no mere photographs, but the work of an artist. All that is inessential she casts away. All that is essential she retains, she idealizes, and that is why her picture of a lost mistress has the power to keep a man a celibate to the end of his days, and why she can break a human heart with the picture of a dead child. She is a painter, but she is also a poet. The picture before the mind of Lestrange was filled with this almost diabolical poetry, for in it the little boat and her helpless crew were represented adrift on a blue and sunlit sea, a sea most beautiful to look at, yet most terrible, bearing as it did the recollections of thirst. He had been dying when, raising himself on his elbow, so to say, he looked at this picture. It recalled him to life. His will-power asserted itself, and he refused to die. The will of a man has, 
if it is strong enough, the power to reject death. He was not in the least conscious of the exercise of this power. He only knew that a great and absorbing interest had suddenly arisen in him, and that a great aim stood before him—the recovery of the children. The disease that was killing him ceased its ravages, or rather was slain in its turn by the increasing vitality against which it had to strive. He left the hospital and took up his quarters at the Palace Hotel, and then, like the general of an army, he began to formulate his plan of campaign against fate. When the crew of the Northumberland had stampeded, hurling their officers aside, lowering the boats with a rush, and casting themselves into the sea, everything had been lost in the way of ship's papers. The charts, the two logs, everything, in fact, that could indicate the latitude and longitude of the disaster. The first and second officers and a midshipman had shared the fate of the quarter-boat. Of the foremast hands saved, not one, of course, could give the slightest hint as to the locality of the spot. A time-reckoning from the horn told little, for there was no record of the log. All that could be said was that the disaster had occurred somewhere south of the line. In Lafarge's brain lay for a certainty the position, and Lestrange went to see the captain in the Maison de Santé, where he was being looked after, and found him quite recovered from the furious mania that he had been suffering from, quite recovered, and playing with a ball of coloured worsted. The Arago, due at Papiti, became overdue. Lestrange watched the overdue lists from day to day, week to week, from month to month, uselessly, for the Arago was never heard of again. One could not affirm even that she was wrecked. She was simply one of the ships that never come back from the sea. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 The Secret of the Azure to lose a child he loves is undoubtedly the greatest catastrophe that can happen to a man. I do not refer to its death. A child wanders into the street, or is left by its nurse for a moment, and vanishes. At first the thing is not realised. There is a pang and a hurry at the heart which half vanishes, whilst the understanding explains that in a civilized city, if a child gets lost, it will be found and brought back by the neighbors or the police. But the police know nothing of the matter, or the neighbors, and the hours pass. Any minute may bring back the wanderer, but the minutes pass, and the day wears into evening, and the evening into night and the night to dawn, and the common sounds of a new day begin. You cannot remain at home for restlessness. You go out only to return hurriedly for news. You are eternally listening, and what you hear shocks you. The common sounds of life, the roll of the carts and cabs in the street, 
The footsteps of the passers-by are full of indescribable mournfulness. Music increases your misery into madness, and the joy of others is monstrous as laughter heard in hell. If someone were to bring you the dead body of the child, you might weep, but you would bless him, for it is the uncertainty that kills. You go mad, or go on living. Years pass by, and you are an old man. You say to yourself, he would have been twenty years of age today. There is not in the old ferocious penal code of our forefathers a punishment adequate to the case of the man or woman who steals a child. Lestrange was a wealthy man, and one hope remained to him, that the children might have been rescued by some passing ship. It was not the case of children lost in a city, but in the broad Pacific, where ships travel from all ports to all ports, and to advertise his loss adequately it was necessary to placard the world. Ten thousand dollars was the reward offered for news of the lost ones, twenty thousand for the recovery, and the advertisement appeared in every newspaper likely to reach the eyes of a sailor, from the Liverpool Post to the dead bird. The years passed without anything definite coming in to answer all these advertisements. Once news came of two children saved from the sea in the neighbourhood of the Gilberts, and it was not false news, but they were not the children he was seeking for. This incident at once depressed and stimulated him, for it seemed to say, if these children have been saved, why not yours? The strange thing was that in his heart he felt a certainty that they were alive. His intellect suggested their death in twenty different forms, but a whisper somewhere out of that great blue ocean told him at intervals that what he sought was there, living, waiting for him. He was somewhat of the same temperament as Emmeline a dreamer with a mind tuned to receive and record the fine rays that fill this world, flowing from intellect to intellect, and even from what we call the inanimate things. A coarser nature would, through feeling perhaps as acutely the grief, have given up in despair the search. But he kept on, and at the end of the fifth year so far from desisting, he chartered a schooner, and passed eighteen months in a fruitless search, calling at little-known islands, and once, unknowing, at an island only three hundred miles from the tiny island of this story. If you wish to feel the hopelessness of this unguided search, do not look at a map of the Pacific, but go there. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square leagues of sea, thousands of islands, reefs, atolls. Up to a few years ago there were many small islands utterly unknown. Even still there are some, 
though the charts of the Pacific are the greatest triumphs of hydrography, and though the island of the story was actually on the Admiralty charts, of what use was that fact to Lestrange? He would have continued searching, but he dared not, for the desolation of the sea had touched him. In that eighteen months the Pacific explained itself to him in part, explained its vastness, its secrecy, and inviability. The schooner lifted veil upon veil of distance, and veil upon veil lay beyond. He could only move in a right line. To search the wilderness of water with any hope, one would have to be endowed with the gift of moving in all directions at once. He would often lean over the bulwark rail and watch the swell slip by, as if questioning the water. Then the sunsets began to weigh upon his heart, and the stars to speak to him in a new language, and he knew that it was time to return, if he would return with a whole mind. When he got back to San Francisco, he called upon his agent Wanamaker of Kearney Street. But there was still no news. End of chapter 2